Hello, and welcome to episode five of the um, King of the Northwood. Um, before I get started, I want to introduce you, in case you haven't heard, of um, a couple of people. Um, they're uh, friends of mine. Um, they're my co-workers, uh, Allie and Jen, um, who have their own po- podcast entitled uh, Michigan and Other Mayhem. Um, the last two episodes were about... Um, a female serial killer and a quadruple killer and um uh and two John Doe's um uh and their means of identifying them um and the uh, cholera outbreak that decimated uh, uh Detroit and uh, the lower Michigan um Lower Michigan, um, in back in the 1830s. So yeah, um, it's good stuff. Check it out. All right, let's begin. Former Mayor Torres and the villagers of Golden Bridal all awakened to an unsettling horn announcing the arrival of Charon and Kerchal and Azen, the king of the North Wood, along with their considerable army. A colorful army, reverent if hostile, could be seen having surrounded Golden Bridal standing not ten feet deep in the encroaching forest. It was the first time in centuries an army dared march on the illustrious village. Despite not one soul acting as lookout, no soldier considered entering the the, uh, village. Ultimately, the thirty-odd villagers that called Golden Bridal home modestly and quietly exited their homes and fearlessly confronted Sharon's elite force. Gawa posited, maybe we can divide the leadership. Kirchaw lowered, Kirchaw glowered at the goddess, then allowed his eyes to rest on Sharon. My ambition is not to claim the world for myself. Oh no, asked Gawa, coy. It will be yours when, when you kill Sharon in his sleep. Kirchaw chuckled looking at the silver snake exclusively. She is spiteful. She has no idea that I adore you and am entirely devoted to you and what you intend for the Abbasine. Charon smiled at Kerchal. I'm guessing I've already tested your allegiance to me. Oh, don't you remember? Oh, that's right. I'm telling you I made you forget. I'm assuming all the more reason to fear. I mean, to obey me. Kerchal was sufficiently silenced. As was Gawa and the other villagers. Ultimately, former Mayor Taurus spoke up. So you are here to defeat me? That is why you have come? I'm here, replied Charon tersely, most assuredly, to change reality. You, Mayor Taurus, I'm thinking you are the state of mind. The Abyssin, the entire world, I'm telling you, it is all what's going on, what you allow to go on, inside your head. We all know that. I'm telling you, I'm here to end it, most certainly to end the tyranny of one man's mind, and replace it, how, why, I'm telling you, replace it with everybody's freedom, that's what I intend. He stuck a hand out, each and every one of you, I'm telling you, give me your scroll, the one clasped around your neck, every single scroll I consider a threat, especially when they are in the possession of someone like yourself. I'm telling you, each and every scroll I'm going to claim ownership of, 
I've decided I must burn them all. Taurus removed the scroll and placed it in the teen's palm. Charon snatched up the scroll and put it in his pocket. Now, people of Golden Bridal, he said, surveying the villagers, this can go down in two ways. I'm telling you, your village is now mine. Do not think you can tell me here. Do not tell me you can tell me that it is not. You may join me and fight alongside me while I claim all the other villages here, or you may suffer defeat. And my troops, I assure you, will be most cruel in their treatment of you. I'm telling you, they have nurtured their spite over generations. What do you say? The outspoken horse whisperer, Heck, indicated the troops Charon brought with him into battle. I don't know much, but I am smart. What is this you have here? 7,500, by the looks of it? 7,500, which would be a lot were we average foes. But we are not average foes. Any one villager from Golden Bridal could kill 35 persons, and this without breaking a sweat. And you claim to conquer the world? You are a fool. Charon, with a triumphant smile on his face, lifted a hand. Go on, my brothers. I'm telling you to slay these. They may be formidable, but in the end, it will be our troops, I tell you, that will prevail. With a shout, the troops loyal to Charon rushed out of the woods and into Golden Bridal. They engaged the villagers, enthusiastically crying out in their bloodlust, demanding vengeance, anticipating victory without loss of any one soul. But it was apparent almost immediately that Charon, Charon's troops failed across the battlefield. The weapons would not strike. Their skill did not avail them. Their courage was fruitless. The villagers gave out a shout and closed tight and confronted the invaders. Immediately, they picked up whatever they could find in, to use as weapons. Despite being apparently mismatched, the villagers, using anything from shovels to cake tins, descended upon those who held blades and axes and hammers. It only took a hundred to, fail, to fall among those recruited to serve under Charon for the other several thousand within a matter of a few minutes to abandon their ambitious leader and run for the cover of the forest. Stand tall, commanded Charon, watching his troops fly in front of him. His soldiers evaporated as the morning dew. Within twenty minutes' time, most of his troops left him. In the end, even Kirchall abandoned him. Where are you going? Kirchall glowered at the man. You should not have deceived me. Then make me think that you had not. Pray that the people of Golden Bridal kill you. If I should cross paths with you again, I will slay you. I will take I will take great pains to make sure you aren't lying to yourself about your suffering. With that said, Kirchall left Charon. Only he and the King of the North would, together with roughly three hundred of the bitterest, angriest, most desperate of troops, remained. What are we going to do? asked the boy. I'm surprised I'm not all alone. I believe in you, if no one else does, replied the boy. I believe in my father. You will be richly rewarded, I assure you, answered Charon. Step down from your horse, commanded Marigawa. Your delusions of ruling in our place ends right here, right now. Gawa swaggered up to Charon, who seemed unfazed by his lack of success. Well, you are a fool. Best to learn your lesson now, while you are still young. 
wouldn't be good to put off that lesson. It could cost you your life. I mean, should we let you live past nightfall? Former Mayor Torres intervened. I know him like you do not. He is much too clever to, dis to be dismissed by you as a fool. He may have something up his sleeve. Charon clamored, People of the Northwood, I'm giving you all this last chance. You may forsake those who defend this village, who will perish in a half hour's time, or you may die with them. I will show no mercy. So what do you all have to say? Former Mayor Torres stepped forward. Please do not do this to us. This is no place for your hostility. There are worthy people among us. No one? Torres, certainly you must know that I am what I am capable of. I assure you, I will make you my second in command. Won't you join me? Former Mayor Torres shook his head. I will never forsake my village for a man who must be cruel. Who is it who denies me? He is cruel, eh? And Charon growled. The trees are my soldiers. And suddenly several trees at the edge of the forest, at the edge of the village, transformed. Immediately, trees winked in, out and became lumbering, thundering soldiers. Within a minute, twelve trees came alive. They lunged and towered and swatted and thrashed blindly at the people of Golden Bridal. Gawa marveled. I must admit, I was not expecting this. The wooden troops, loyal to Charon, washed over the village. They uttered not a word, but they were obedient to a fault, and immensely strong. Six descended swiftly upon Heck. He fought to free himself, but he was unsuccessful. Once a couple swaying, teetering soldiers each took a limb, they pulled away, tearing the man to pieces. Upon dying, the man uttered such a cry as to wound deeply those who that heard that could not help but hear it. They came to know, for the first time in quite a while, what terror was. What do we do? asked Mira. These can be defeated, insisted Taurus, but you must be patient and listen to what I have to say. The people of Golden Bridal found themselves gelling into a mass. All around them, Charon's troops were closing and forcing themselves upon the remnant loyal to the former mayor. Go on, urged Taurus. Go on. Take one step at a time. It's the only way. And the villagers concurred. Like an amoeba, they worked their way out into the closing circle of Charon's troops. The isolated one then swiftly and effectively worked the confused, distraught soldier in, deeper and deeper, among the most hardy of Golden Bridal's troops. Here, in the heart of the mass, the soldier was quickly dispatched with slashing steel. One soldier down, some eleven more still to go. We can't possibly win the battle this way, insisted Peg Merle. This happened for roughly ten minutes, causing the villagers distress. Though most of the people of Golden Bridal were immune to death, they were not immune to pain and suffering. Many thought this cruel, a demonstration of the contempt for the villager, villagers by the god who created them, the god they now dismissed as their brother. Please, insisted Taurus, encouraging his fellow villagers, we will survive. We need last only twenty more minutes. Gawa scowled at the former mayor. I was right to ma be made mayor of the Gol of Golden Bridal. We have you have lost 
your temperament. I can make choices you refuse to make. The villagers watched as each of the eleven trees bucked and quaked violently, as if shaken by a strong wind. They struck and parried with their many branches, thrashing and thrusting and stabbing. What do, are we going to do? asked Mimika. There are so many of them. What means do we have of beating them? I have no. I have the solution, answered Gawa, and she immediately retrieved a torch from a nearby stanchion. The other villagers did the same, wrangling fire from nearby sources. As the wooden troops advanced, the people of Golden Bridal delivered hungry flame. The fire actively consumed the first of the stumbling, tottering, creaking wonders. They are still coming upon us, shouted Peck Merle in alarm. We are not capable enough to stop them. I have an idea, replied Gawa. As the villagers were all gathered in the village square, they found themselves being driven toward the well. As the silent troops of Charon continued steadfastly onward, Gawa quickly lunged for the rope attached to the bucket. Once the rope was free from the depths, she quickly severed it from where it was connected to the wheel. She then drew the attention of the others. What do you intend to do with that? asked Unge. Why, undercut them. That's what. And so saying, she took one end of the rope and handed, to it, handed it to Mimika. Both shared a wink, then with a shout, rushed to the front line of leaning toddling frights. Now, down low, that's it. And the two women knelt, then running fast, secured the rope beneath the knobby knees of three of Charon's troops. With the soldiers successfully ensnared, the two women came together and pulled the rope taut. Ha! The two women of Golden Bridle proudly surveyed their work. The three troops were knocked off their feet. They were kicking their arms and legs out, struggling like overturned turtles, trying to get back upright. Quick, we can make use of this advantage we have, declared Marigawa. The goddess waved down Unge and Chenchu. Both responded to their mayor's urgent command swiftly. They found the rusty barrel of kerosene, then returned to the writhing mound of overturned soldiers. They popped the cap, then spilt the smelly contents over the incapacitated marvels. That's good, confirmed Kawa. Now, yes. Now, step back. The people of Golden Bridal retreated. As Mayor Gawa quickly sparked a flame, smacking a flint with a stone, she approached the tossing troops and kindled a flame there. She took a step back. She thought she could hear shouts and cries of entreaty, but even if she did, she would not have responded to them. There, Gawa said. She smiled and pointed. All the villagers were heartened by the fact that a wall of flame had consumed the three soldiers. We have won this battle. Yes, we have, conveyed Gawa proudly, and her fellow villagers delighted in their hard-won victory. They embraced and sang and cheered. Ten minutes passed. Would Gawa have to throw more kerosene on the kindling? She voiced her concern when something caught her eye, and she was not the first to see it, for Peckmerel pointed it out as well. Is that what is that tin I see from one of the from one of our house's roofs? All turned to see the flimsy metal sheet reflecting the light of the fire. 
The sheet fell upon the burning mound with a hollow bang. What do we do? asked one of the gruff brothers. But as the people considered openly their options, they did not act fast enough. The remaining wooden soldiers, those not touched by the flames, with Charon in their midst, himself barking commands, had wrestled free another tin, another thin sheet of tin. They clambered up the first expanse of metal and threw, to, threw down the second sheet. Once the bridge was complete, the surviving, towering, mighty troops rushed over the flaming heap of their brethren and made with a fresh assault. There's too many of them, clambered Mira. They needed time, something they did not have a lot of. There was a thundering boom. The villagers wondered what that could be. Regardless, the Gruff brothers splashed fuel upon the advancing, tottering soldiers. Intrepid Mera and Unge deposited oil-soaked rags in nooks and crevices as the burning troops lurched and lunged and convulsed, trying to defeat the fire, but being unable to do so. The wind picked up, feeding the fires such that many of the houses caught flame. Another boom reverberated throughout the forest. Was that? But Pekmerel acknowledged the thunder simultaneously with the sheets of rain that blanketed the entire village. The water quickly diffused the fires feeding on the torsos of Charon's troops. What is this? What do we do? demanded Unge. Pekmerel pointed. The thoroughly charred troops, their flames extinguished, with pain and effort, joined the other wooden troops, the flames that had nipped at the bark, at their bark, flesh, at their bark flesh, smothered out. The wooden soldiers had obviously never known wrath, as trees had never had a need, really, for it. Whether they were responding to the harsh words of their master, or they identified with a part of themselves long since dormant within their hearts, Either way, they eagerly pressed on, intent on pulling apart their, the bodies of every villager within Golden Bridle. Chen mm -hmm. picked up an axe and, with a shout, rushed upon the glistening troops headed their way. Come on, he urged his fellow villagers. We can end this. But just as Chen brought his weapon forward and sunk deep into the wooden torso of the nearest soldier, so deep that Chenchu could not pull the axe free. The trooper that was at the opposite end of, the, of that strike communicated something. His voice was not like wind blowing through a reed instrument. Former Mayor Taurus was not alone in identifying the grief in that voice. The wooden troops responded by converging on Chenchu. Former Mayor Taurus contemplated that he should, what he should do. After all, he had a good relationship with the trees of the North Wood. Was it better not to learn? Was it better not to harm that now by doing something rash? Steam rose off of Chen Chu's body as the rain continued to fall. The villagers watched in horror the silhouettes of the wooden soldiers descending upon Chen Chu, sweeping and reaching for his arms and legs. Mamika gave out a shout. She lunged at the troops that had converged upon Chen Chu. The wooden soldiers spun awkwardly, watching as Mimika swatted at them with her belt. As more and more troops entered the village square, the trees were perplexed and undone by the woman swatting at them with her belt. What is she doing? asked 
asked Mara. But Torres said nothing, only chuckled. He undid his own belt, then lunged at the frozen soldiers. Are they nuts? queried one of the gruff brothers. What do we have to lose? asked Tazday. And he plucked a flower up by the roots. He in turn ran up and swatted at the soldiers and taunted them. Soon the others joined them. It was as though they were playing around several maypoles. Charon's troops were effectively stifled. But the wooden soldiers had had enough. One reached out and snatched up the enthusiastic Tazday. The tree grunted, conveying his uncommon delight. The villagers, terrified, converged on the tree working to tear Tazday to pieces. They walked at him, they swatted at him, but their efforts did not avail them. Former Mayor Torres closed his eyes tight. He anticipated an agonizing cry, but he heard nothing. Only silence, except for the falling rain. Then, much to Taurus's surprise, he heard cheers. Certainly not characteristic of the wooden soldiers. Taurus opened his eyes. The wooden soldiers were no longer to be seen. They had resumed their place in the embassy as their former non-threatening, stodgy selves. It had been a half hour. Charon's magic had worn off. Azen jumped down from his horse. I see, acknowledged a broken, despondent Charon. I would not blame you if you decided to leave me now, too. The boy replied only, I will stay by your side, to the very end. You must know that, as you are my father. One of the Gruff brothers took Charon by the collar and pulled him violently to his knees. Unapologetically, he dragged the whimpering man before Mayor Gawa. Well... Asked the goddess, looking down upon the grieving, hapless Charon. What do you have to say for yourself? Charon mumbled something under his breath. On hands and knees, he would not look Gawa in the eye. I cannot hear you, snarled Mayor Gawa. None of us can hear you. Please, don't deny us this special moment. Now, what were you saying? Charon sat up. There was a mad glint in the man's eyes, something that alarmed Taurus. But the man quickly averted his gaze. I am defeated. Is that what you want, me to, want to hear? I am defeated. Immediately, the remaining 300 soldiers and officers that had stood beside Charon knelt, their armor scraping and chafing and buckling, offering their blades to Mayor Gawa as in defeat. Mayor Gawa smiled broadly. You must be punished. Your arrogance must be addressed. You will walk around my village. You must suffer a bait, chastisement and ridicule for my fellow villagers. You must bear a very special scroll around your neck, one that makes you the culprit of a shameful crime yet to be. You will be hated and loathed. There will not be one place to lay your head. What do you say to that? asked Mayor Gawa. I guess I deserve that such treatment, answered Charon. And Charon entered the, gaunt the gauntlet, where he was kicked and punched and spat upon. The king of the Northwood ran up beside Ch Charon. Don't do this. Please, father, please don't do this. Stand tall among them. Don't suffer their ridicule. What's this you say? I queried Charon. You must know the truth. You know that I am not your father. Sure you are. You told me that you told me you are. Honest. Charon confessed softly. Leave me, boy. I can no longer do anything for you. The boy slumped, saddened, 
despondent, the boy slipped out of his mittens. I'm sorry, he said, and he laid his hands on Charon. Why does Jer everyone fail me? I wanted to believe in you. I could have been your son. I guess no more. Immediately the veil of pretense fell. The kneeling troops, the apologetic Charon, all disappeared. In its place, Couvray, with his unique blade, was standing over a mayor, one of the eight. There were seven mayors here, each one bound with enchanted rope from head to toe. By the looks of things, three mayors had already been slain, Vaugh, and Tendril, and Lol. It was as Celeste had said, that there was victory and defeat. There was an audible gasp as the villagers of Golden Bridal realized how close they had come to defeat. What cursed creature are you? snarled Charon, glaring at the boy. Why did I befriend you? I should have known you were nothing but trouble. Nothing good could have come from a boy who claimed to have killed three kings, and that unapologetically. I should have killed you when I first set eyes on you. Looks like we have uh, have seen through your ruse, acknowledged Gawa softly. We are most fortunate. Charon grabbed the boy by the throat and throttled him. I was so close. Victory should have been mine. So you have you see what you have denied me? You most certainly have cost me the world. What do we do with him? asked Mara. As for certain, we can't just let him walk away from here. He must die. He must die now. Taurus intervened. This man is my son. Should you kill him, you must get past me. I fear for him. I fear for my family. Mayor Gallo grunted. I never thought I'd see the side of you, Taurus. Can't say I welcome it. Charon blanched. Is it the truth? Are you my father? I feel I need to apologize. For what you have become, I am certainly to blame for some of that. If not all of it. What about mother? He finally croaked. Do you fear for mother, too? What do you mean? Asked Gawa. Your mother is already dead. Celeste, your daughter, Taurus, keeps her close to her in a pit. Not too far from here. Mayor Couvray wept as his blood continued dripping blood. Do not doubt what he says. Candide knows the whereabouts of my daughter. She, she was not slain. She is protected. Three mares are dead. Too bad no more are. The road is paved for Candide's victory. Should you go to her now, no doubt a capable army will have assembled around her, her own army. What, are you, what, are, what is this you are telling about, talking about? Asked Taurus. Are you telling me that she, she still lives? And... That concludes this episode of um, King of the Northwood. Um, thanks for listening, and I will post another uh, podcast uh, next week. Thanks. Bye.